Hey, everybody. I hope you had a great Christmas holiday if you celebrate Christmas and that your Hanukkah, if you celebrate Hanukkah, is going great. And if you just celebrate a day off, I hope that's going great, too. This is Maddie. Welcome to Dear Maddie Show. It's a little bit of a different show today. Um, I just... Um, I'll be young with kids. It's just been, it's been, it was a wonderful, wonderful holiday with my family. It was great. Took the boyfriend home. It was fantastic. But it's still just, um, I've been very affected by the loss of George Michael and then the loss of Carrie Fisher. And I know people think, well, you don't really know these people and they're just celebrities, but, and I'll explain later, but you know, they do, I think, have an effect on our lives. And also, I'm somebody who's working in entertainment. So I just kind of feel like, they're just like me just you know a little they were a little further along in their journey than I am um so I guess what kind of coming you know it's it's such like a I don't know so I want to talk about that a little bit today I didn't I have a show that I have pre-recorded that I thought about airing today and I just thought you know this is kind of what's on my heart so I'm just gonna speak for a little bit which I've been sick so I'm sorry if I sound like a Sorry if I have Kathleen Turner voice, which that just dated me. That just that just secured that I'm over 35, Jesus. But uh, yeah, it's definitely yeah. So anyway, I hope that your holidays are happy. But but today, I think what I there's a couple of things that kind of stuck out to me in all of this is um, well, first of all, with Carrie Fisher, I just I mean yes. Star Wars, Princess Leia, all that. I mean, that was, I think, Empire Strikes. Well, no, I actually think it was E.T., but I think Empire Strikes Back was, no, whichever the one is with Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi was the first, like the second movie I think I ever saw in a movie theater that I remember. It was a big deal. and But also, too, I remember seeing Star Wars as just this little gay kid and seeing this woman who just was such a badass um, and just, I'll never forget when she, like, when they're trying to get out the first of the movie, she's like, here, I'll do it. And she grabs a gun and shoots the things and shoots the thing and then dives in the thing. And you're like, wow, this is something totally different. So, so yeah, I think Carrie, Un- Carrie Underwood. So, yeah, I think Carrie Fisher definitely just as a little gay kid you went whoa she's not the norm we you know we love my wonder woman we love our strong women but also to karen with just what she did for for i mean that's the first time i ever heard about bipolar was listening to carrie fisher talk about this and she was so candid in her own struggle with bipolar and she kind of gave it a voice and um gave gave some clarity to it and then just also i mean harry met sally i mean Sister Act, all these movies that she was a part of, and uh, just artistically, she's everything I want to be in an artist. Where she is, she's a great writer. She's a great actor. She's a, a a great human. She's funny. She's a great producer. She's a singer. I mean, literally, was all those things that 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 I saw and hoped for myself, and that I'm still trying to achieve. And I think she's, you know, I talk a lot about on the show about the Dolly Parton trifecta, that where there's three parts of ourselves, that the person who we really are, the person we want others to see us as, and the and then the person people actually see us as. And I, I, I don't know her. Um, I see on Facebook some of my friends do, but 
I imagine that Carrie Fisher, probably like Dolly Parton, some other people I've met in my life, has those three things combined as very closely as possible. And you always knew, you always knew what you were getting with her. And even though she had this bluntness and this ballsy attitude, at the same time, she was also very kind. And I just, we just weren't done. We just weren't done with her. She wasn't done. And it's always, I mean, death is, can always be sad. Obviously it's, it's, but when it's, um, it's just a loss with both of these cause they are young and you know, there was still, there was still, even with, even with George Michael, you know, he had kind of gone downhill. He had had health problems before. Um, maybe vocally he wasn't exactly where, you know, he was in the eighties and nineties, but with Carrie Fisher, she was, man, she was still on top of the game. It wasn't even like she had she had faltered um just very very sad um so and the next person i wanted to talk about this kind of rambling again we're not taking questions today i don't have a guest today this is just kind of what's on my heart but um george michael and you know george michael he's a gay icon obviously especially after he came out but again like carrie fisher i think he was just an icon for everyone and i'll talk about this later because uh, but in the story I'm going to talk about, but it's when I went to a George Michael concert. And again, when you're at the concert, everyone of all of anybody, that, anybody and everybody is there. And so no matter what race, sexual, sexual orientation, gender. And so you really do get this feeling of this person is, is iconic to everybody. Like everyone relates to his music. Um, but with George Michael, I, the first kind of really memory I remember George Michael was my best friend, Sean, his older sister was, I think in, yes, she was in high school during the Faith album and all that. And when Sean and I were younger and she was really obsessed, maybe she was like in eighth grade and she used to watch MTV and we would see George Michael's butt in that Faith video. And she would talk about how gorgeous his butt was. And she would, I remember her saying, oh my gosh, look at his butt. And me being, oh my gosh, don't look at his butt. And just thinking he was so, like he had this kind of Rock Hudson, like James Dean um, dreaminess. And that it was just drew you in. And then he was such a great singer and the music was so great on top of it. And a lot of it was so joyous um, that I just related to him in that way. But then my main thing was with the song Freedom 90, which I think a lot of gay men queer people period just relate to in that I'll never forget I was 19 years old and I had just well I was just I was about to start my senior year of college and I'd just been outed actually over the summer at a summer camp thing that our school was doing in Colorado and that was a little traumatic in itself but when I got to school one of my best friends who's still a great friend today Julie Fiore who lives in Austin she told me, she said, we're go- you're going out. We're taking you to a gay club. And I thought, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And I wanted to go, but I was also so scared, like, you're thinking, am I going to get hit on? Like, am I going to find a, you know, like, I've never, I'd never done anything like that. you got to see these people. I never even, I'm 19 years old, and I've never been on a date with a guy ever. So it's like you're doing it all for the first time. And we went to this place in Dallas, and it was it was called the village i think now it's called a different number it's down in the cedar springs area of dallas and we went to this place called the village and you walk in and there's a big dance floor and first of all i'm shocked and overwhelmed that i'm just seeing all like guys dancing with guys girls dancing with girls and 
like go-go dancers and got their shirts off. And I'm thinking, what the heck? But I was only there for literally 30 seconds because Julie grabbed me and said, oh my gosh, we've got to go and see the drag show. So she pulls, she said, the drag show is about to start. It was like out of a movie. She pulled me up these kind of these small rickety stairs to this place, to the room they had upstairs called the Rose Room. And that's where they did the drag shows. And so we walk in and we're walking in. And we kind of get a place to stand and look at the stage literally as the lights are going down. And so the lights come up and it's, uh, we hear the Freedom 90, the, you know, do, 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 I won't let you down, all that. And then the lights come up and there's this beautiful woman, a drag queen, beautiful woman or man dressed in just like this mink fur shawl that just covers her entire body and all the way down to the floor. It drapes on the floor. It was like, you know, gypsy or maim or, Lord, that's a gay reference. Jesus, Matt. But, and the neck is like, is all the way around her cheeks. And she's got this, she looks like Shania Twain. I remember because I was obsessed with Shania Twain at the time. But she looked like Shania Twain. The dark hair, beautiful features. Her name was Sierra Nicole. Everybody, Sierra Nicole. Then You're going to be porn or drag queen with that name, right? Anyway, there's someone named Sierra Nicole right now who's listening who's pissed. Anyway. So the song starts, and she's lip-syncing, you know, drag queen's lip-sync, and she, this, you know, it starts with a, I won't let you down, I will not leave you up, gotta have some faith in the sound. Anyway, and then it ends kind of the first little verse, and then, then George Michael says, oh yeah, and then the music kind of, more instruments start coming in, and it speeds up a little bit, and so on the oh yeah, Sierra Nicole just let her fur drape to the roof the floor it was my first drag queen reveal everybody um i love a good reveal but she was wearing only pasties and just to give you an image like i think she obviously i think she had had fake breast um uh implants but she had pasties over her boobs just over her nipples and then pasties over like her crotch area and i don't mean to be crass but i literally was staring at her thinking how did you get rid of your dick i was shocked i didn't know what was happening and so suddenly, I see this person who's literally naked in front of me, being this kind of deviant, this drag queen, lip syncing, and people are are going out of their mind for her, and screaming and throwing dollars, and she's going around collecting dollars and singing, and I just remember thinking, what have I done? It was like, uh, that reminded me, what's that Reba McIntyre video where the kid spills coffee on her paper? Oh, is there a life out there when the kid spills coffee on her paper? She says, what have you done? But still, it was like, I thought, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? And there was this part of me that was so scared still because I just didn't know how to be in this world. But then that other part of me that was so excited because this was my world. This And it felt so that being... Being, it felt free. I mean, how appropriate that freedom was the first thing I heard in a gay club, seeing that and feeling that and just knowing no one was staring at me because I was gay, but they were all staring what they should be staring at, the performer. And it was just, it was such a, even as I talk about it now, I have goosebumps and I just, I'm so grateful for that song. And so George Michael really, I connected so much with that song, especially younger and listened to and still listen to him. It's like Dick Clark says that the thing about music is is that it bookmarks 
the history of our life. And I think that's so true. And that, so every time I hear Freedom 90, I think of Julie Fiore, I think of the Rose Room, and I remember that moment. Okay, and so the next thing that kind of, this is a longer story I wanted to read about George Michael is, and I just put a cough drop in my throat, sorry, because I'm sick, so hopefully it doesn't sound too, otherwise I'm going to just cough through this whole freaking thing. So I don't know if a lot of you, probably none of you have known this because I never really talked about it, but I used to write a column for, it was actually for a gay porn website. Uh, They paid me to do it. I wrote this column. Uh, They also paid me to review porn. I didn't, sounds fun, but I really didn't enjoy it, but it was part of the job and I wanted to be a writer and be a paid writer. So I wrote a column that aired every week called A Gay in the Life and it was okay. You know, I look back on it some things... I mean, that's art. You put it out there, and it is what it is. It made me realize that I actually totally was dyslexic because there's so many typos in that, and my editor did the best he could, but, man, it was... Proofreading is not my thing. So, anyway. But it was really... it, It was a meaningful experience in that I committed and did it every Friday. This column would come out, and I really... I had, I think, quite a few readers at the time, and it really influenced their life. But the whole point is, I wrote... It was very much a Sex in the City. It's before, I don't know if it was before Sex in the City. I had never seen Sex in the City, so I didn't have a reference for it. But I didn't really know that's what I was doing was a gay Sex in the City. And it was about me and kind of three or four of my friends. And I told a narrative. And some of it was true. Some of it was not true at all. Um, So more based on fact. But I just told weekly kind of little vignettes into this person's life, this guy named Steve, and who was me. And are based on me and just things going on in his life. And the hope was when some guy was there, like, you know, beating off to porn that each column, the the kind of main theme through each column was, it was about love slash sex. And I wanted them to think about that. You know, a lot of men say, especially that sex is just sex. And I don't believe that. I think sex is never just sex. It's always about if men are saying that a lot of times or women, I think that we are denying an intellectual or an emotional part. Um, I'm not saying that you can't have sex just to have sex. No, you can, but also acknowledge that there's emotional of wanting to feel connected or wanting to relax or whatever. And so I just was hoping that in through this column that that men would see themselves in here and be reflected in that and hopefully feel community and maybe, you know, kind of not be on the porn side all the time because some of them I'm like, come on, take a break. So anyway, so I wrote, this is what I'm going to read now are two columns that I wrote. One air, you know, came out on one Friday and then the other one came out the next Friday because you know Mama loves a cliffhanger. One was called A Change in the Way You Feel and the other one was called Kissing a Fool. And to give you a little backstory, these columns, uh, this was kind of a year in and, and this was in 2009 when I wrote these so a lot of things have changed in my life now so that's why some things might not make sense but this was about when um, I kind of wrote about one of my friends Isabella and who I worked with at a law office at the time about a guy that had a crush on his name was Kelly and I'd written about him before in the column so I referenced him as if the audience should know him because you should have because I talked about we went to the museum and I couldn't tell if it was a date or a friend thing it felt weird and how we'd met and basically I liked this guy Kelly a lot had a major crush I wasn't in love with him but I did have a big crush on him at the time but I just didn't know where where he stood with things so that's basically I think all the backstory you need to know on this so I'm a little nervous reading this because it's weird when you if you ever journal or anything it's great but uh, to see how you've changed but also to in sharing this with all of y'all you know my 
I feel like I'm cheating on my boyfriend because I'm talking about how I liked another guy when obviously I love my partner so much and he's the love of my life. And I know, I know it's like 10 years later, but still, it feels weird. So I just want to own that kind of nervousness that my heart literally is beating kind of as I'm reading this. And also, too, this person, I'm probably going to, you know, this person that I like, whose name was not Kelly, but it was similar. It started with a K. Um, he could listen to this or read this and kind of know these things but whatever i don't care he's a great guy we're still friends on facebook he actually reached out to me when george michael died and kind of this reminded me of this experience so super happy for the memory of that guy and whatever maybe we'll have lunch but as friends whatever i don't know probably that'd be weird whatever especially after this no we're not gonna have yeah screw him we're not having lunch okay anyway all right so this first article is called a change in the way you feel i'm pregnant i'm not dead I love Isabel. Yes, she is 34 years old. Yes, she is six months pregnant. And yes, she could still party my ass under the table. Now, I'm not talking about that kind of white trash still smokes and drinks despite the baby party. No, she doesn't. No, she's not doing that. She didn't need any alcohol. She, her energy was still so infectious and she's so hilarious. She talks it up to being Puerto Rican. She says, my people are dramatic and intense, she would say. And then she added, and a little bit crazy. Isabella is a paralegal at the law office. I work at a few days a week. And she's originally from Chicago, but she also, I mean, she just fits into Los Angeles flawlessly. You always think that she's wearing the hottest designer clothes, but in actuality, she's wearing the best knockoffs money can buy. Oh, and it should be noted that few women love gay men like Isabella. I mean, she is a queer deer. And she still fondly reminisces about her first gay Mario, who taught her how to walk in high-heeled shoes during an ice storm in Chicago. That's fucking gay. And amazing. So I don't know why, but when Isabel offered a ticket for me to go see George Michael with her, that I asked, can you go though? And she looked at me indignantly. Just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean I don't want to see the love of my life, she said, her voice cooing. You do know he's gay, right? I asked. Yes, I know, she said flatly, but I would still marry him in a heartbeat. You don't understand. Wham was my thing. And then when he went solo, oh, George got me through some tough breakups. She paused as her face fell. Well, breakups with closeted boyfriends. Okay, she continued. I have three tickets and I know who you should ask to come with us. I looked at her questioningly. Kelly, she said. I began to open my mouth to debate, but... No, girl, she said, putting her hand in the air. I've been hearing about you going on and on about that boy for over two months. It's time to rip the fucking Band-Aid and man up. He's going. Man up. She was right. I had, like, I'd been beating around the bush with Kelly for two or three months. Um, and it was time to, to figure out the, the truth of the situation where I stood. So I did. I asked him, and Kelly is a big George Michael fan, apparently, so he was happy to go. So two weeks later, Kelly and I were both on our way to pick up Isabella for the concert. The car ride was, eh, I mean, we both made small talk. It felt a little weird, to be honest. When I asked, like, with everything with Kelly, that felt a little weird because I just didn't know, there was no clarity to anything. When I asked Kelly, I didn't really specify our concert was outing was a date. I just said we had an extra ticket. And, I mean, we were, we were going with Isabella, someone who he had never met. I mean, is it a date? It's probably more one-on-one, -on -one, right? Anyway, whenever I was thinking, it was probably not right. But when we arrived at Isabella's, her husband Daniel greeted us at the door. She's not ready yet, he said, sighing, motioning for us to step in. I mean, it is Isabella. She she obviously needs more time to prep. That She's beautiful. I mean, looks like a model. Beautiful olive skin, long, dark flowing hair. 
but girl knows how to beat her face with that makeup and fix that hair so she takes time. But anyway, I forgot that Kelly is from Chicago, just like Daniel and Isabella. So soon Daniel and Kelly were sitting on the couch drinking a beer and discussing Chicago. While I, so they were having their time while I sat on Isabella's bathroom counter while she was finishing applying her lip liner, then her lipstick, and then her lip gloss. Bitch layers. And it uh, looks on point. It, I loved it. It reminded me of I used to sit and talk to my mom when she would do her makeup. <sighs> Hashtag homosexual. Anyway. Well, I asked Isabella, what do you think? Girl, she whispered. He is cute. I know. I said, smiling. I couldn't help myself. Are you going to make a move tonight? She asked. I don't know. I murmured. Well, hey, Isabella said, patting her stomach. You know I'm not drinking tonight, so I'll get you both ripped and maybe you'll let your guard down a little bit. <sighs> Isabella is a woman of her word. About a half an hour later, I felt well on my way to being buzzed, and Kelly's fair face was flushed bright pink in the dim light of the forum in Los Angeles. I had no idea how much Isabella and Kelly loved George Michael. I mean, I love him. He meant a lot to me, but they love him like the way I love Shania Twain. With the arrival of each new song, they both whooped and their hands were in the air and you could tell each song brought back a memory for them. Now, I hope George would sing Kissing the Fool. It's my favorite song of George Michael, but it, I wasn't expecting it because it's not as well known, not super popular, but you know, I was open. But I told them, I said, if I hear that song, I'm waving my hands dramatically and I'm going to queen the fuck out and I'm going to scream. All of those three things. So they both laughed and Kelly gave me a high five, which again... Do you high-five someone when you're on a date? I don't know. This is confusing. And I must say the night vibe, it seemed more friendly than he was interested. I mean, it is hard to tell with Kelly. And I asked Isabel what she thought when Kelly went to the bathroom. I'm at a loss, she said. I can't tell what the hell he's thinking. And does he not drink that often? No, I said, we're surprised. Kelly drinks more than me, actually. Why? Well, she said, pausing. He sure is acting drunk then. What do you mean? I asked. I mean, she said, looking up to the stairs to make sure Kelly wasn't coming back. Sometimes guys often act drunk when they're not, just so they can make an excuse to act a certain way around someone and then totally deny it later. Huh? I said, cocking my head. I looked like a confused labradoodle. But before I could get clarity on that, Kelly arrived and he, of course, brought back a beer for himself and for me, which I promptly drank. The three of us got, well, Isabella didn't get buzzed, but Kelly... Kelly and I proceeded to get really buzzed, and we danced, and we sang the night away. It was truly, it was blissful. I mean, like I was saying earlier, the crowd at this concert was truly like nothing I'd ever seen. I'd forgotten how long George Michael, or how long I'd known George Michael, and I forgot how iconic his music is. I mean, people from all walks of life were there, gay, straight, black, white, men, women. It was just, it was awesome. I finished my third beer with the... Uh, and then the familiar piano intro for Kissing Fool began to play. And as promised, I flailed my hands. I screamed. I queened the fuck out. Suddenly, I felt Kelly grab me by my left shoulder, and he pulled me into a hug. And I was thinking that his hug was only for a moment because he was excited the song was playing too. And I began to let go, and he pulled me back in. And then suddenly I felt, I was like, there's an earthquake happening because I realized he was moving back and forth. And then I realized, holy shit, now I'm moving back and forth. And then I realized, holy fuck balls, we're dancing. Yes, holy freaking fuck, we were dancing at George Michael, at the Forum, in Los Angeles, in front of Jesus and everybody. And I didn't fucking care. And the song began to start, you know, where you were far when I could have been your 
our star You listen to people Who scared you to death And from my heart Strange that you were strong enough To even make a start But you'll never find Peace of mind Till you listen to your heart My stomach was a mess and an ocean and a joyous symphony all at once. It felt warm, but it wasn't from the alcohol. As George sang, I laid my head on Kelly's shoulder and we both swayed to the music while everyone sat in their chairs pretty much just watching us. I knew I looked like that nerdy girl at a junior high dance that finally gets to dance with the head football player, but I didn't care because in fact, that's how I felt. Something, or rather someone that I'd wanted for so long, wanted me back. And I felt scared, and, and, but I felt comforted at the same time. But mainly I felt gratitude. It just poured through my body as we hugged. I was just so, I was grateful that the anxiety of not knowing how he felt was over. Now I knew. I breathed deeply. I, I took in Kelly's musk, the way he smelled, like soap. And I closed my eyes, content. His body warmth seemed to, it radiated with mine. Both of us were hot and sweaty because we'd been dancing from the night. And as the song played, he held me tighter. And I raised my cheek, and I just lightly began singing along with George. But remember this, every other kiss that you ever give, long as we both live, when you need a hand of another man, one you really can't surrender with, I will wait for you like I always do. There's something there that can't compare with any other. My spirit seemed to lift out of myself to watch us both. It was the most romantic feeling I've ever experienced in my life. As the song began to end, Kelly pulled me back and he looked at me and he smiled. And then he leaned towards me. And then I leaned towards him. And then we were leaning towards each other, oblivious to the packed stadium around us. And then tenderly, his lips began to press against mine. And as the crowd rose around us to applause to the end of the song, we kissed and we kissed, oblivious to the lights, the crowd, and even the iconic George Michael. So that was the first article, everybody. So this is the second one that came next week called Kissing a Fool. The mid-morning sun hopped along the tops of the cars, cruising down Beverly Boulevard its rays glinting from one metallic flash to the next. I looked at my watch, five after 11. He's late. I looked down the boardwalk, taking in the group of shoppers towards La Brea. Through a crowd, I saw a tall chestnut head bob in response to a youthful gait. Effortlessly, the crowd parted, and there sauntered Kelly, walking out of the movie, hair blowing in the breeze, smiling with his small chihuahua poppy sniffing at the sidewalk reluctantly dragged along what'd you say cool kid kelly said beaming he hugged and pecked me on the lips i hope you weren't waiting long he added a flourish of wind from a passing car swept his light mahogany hair across his forehead and immediately all sins were forgotten nah i replied with a brush in my hand i just walked up two minutes ago liar I bent down to pet Kelly's dog. I outstretched the back of my palm. So this is a famous poppy, I said. The dog quivered like most chihuahuas do, and it looked like it was about to shit or bite my hand off. He was not happy to see me. 
A soft growl sh- shook the animal and I drew my hand away, cautious not to seem like a jerk. But it was weird. Dogs usually like me. Kelly swooped Poppy up. Sorry, he apologized. He doesn't really like other people that much. He's a loner, this one. He began kissing the dog's face. Poppy only loves his daddy. The hostess came to see us and we settled ourselves kind of in awkward silence while listening to the couple next to our table bicker quietly. This is the first time I'd seen Kelly since we had kissed at the George Michael concert. It had only been two weeks before, but it seemed longer. About two days after the concert, I I called Kelly just to talk and see what he planned this week. He didn't answer, so I left a message. He never called me back. Um, Whatever. I mean, I guess it's fine. Instead, he texted me three days before our meeting today and said, Sorry, I missed your call. Want to hang out? So here we are, meeting for brunch. So I'm applying to med school, Kelly said. Oh, really? I asked, urging him on, trying to seem interested. I was trying to be nice, but you know you know when you're trying to pay attention, but your mind is playing on repeat? It was like my gay D on steroids. And while he's talking, his mouth is just moving silently, and I just keep hearing the scream in my head. Do you like me? Are we dating? Do you like me? Are we dating? Literally, this mind song was only briefly interrupted with the thought of, you're pathetic, Matt. You're pathetic. We chit-chatted for about 10 minutes, catching up on one another's ongoings, and it wasn't until the restaurant sound system, ironically enough, began playing George Michael's Faith that we both paused and smirked at one another. That was a good concert, I said. So, so, so much fun. Yeah, I totally had a ball, Kelly said, taking a mouthful of water. At least what I can remember. I was so trash, man. His eyes seemed to dart and watch the passing cars. Damn it. This guy is so hard to figure out. Should flirting be this difficult? Does he not remember that? I mean, I couldn't really... It was such a magical moment. How could he not remember that, drunk or not? I couldn't really get a handle on what Kelly wanted from me, if anything at all. Even directly after the concert, Kelly seemed changed somehow. Kissing a Fool was one of the last songs that were played, so I was walked out. Just even the energy felt different. Not that I wanted to be all lovey-dovey, but as we walked to the car, he barely acknowledged me. He kept talking to Isabella most of the time while swaggering back and forth. And I mean, I didn't think he had gotten that drunk. We both had had equal amounts of food and liquor that night, and I only had a slight buzz. And I knew Kelly was had had a higher drinking tolerance than I. We've even discussed that. Still, he simply got in the car and laid in the back seat and kept mumbling, I'm so drunk. I couldn't help but think of what Isabella had said earlier that night. Sometimes guys often act drunk even when they're not just so they can make an excuse to act a certain way around someone and then they deny him. At the time, I, I didn't get fully what she meant. Yet, as I sat in silence at our table two weeks later at fucking brunch, I think I got it. It's not that Kelly couldn't remember our kiss from the concert. It seemed or felt like he didn't want to remember. Apparently, being intoxicated excuses everything. I know, I've been there. But I didn't know I didn't know if I was holding on to false hope, but a part of me didn't want to believe that. Kelly kissed me just as much as I kissed him. In fact, he's the one who pulled me into him. How can he not remember that? Even after the concert, I asked Isabella what she thought after we had dropped Kelly off. She flipped her hands in the air and began searching for her lipstick before she in her purse before she pulled back into traffic. Girl, all I know is is that your thirteen year old self got her wish. She said, literally, you looked like a happy 13-year-old girl. Then she looked up and crinkled her brow. But 13-year-old girls usually get their heart broken because 13 to 40, men don't know what the fuck they want. My mind focused back to the present, to the lunch, sitting with Kelly, who was right in front of me. What does he want? He just told me he was too drunk to remember anything that happened between us. So, as is my non-confrontational way, I changed the subject. 
So, how long have you had Poppy? I asked, absentmindedly. Honestly, I didn't give a rat's ass about this cute little thing that almost tried to bite my hand off. I normally love dogs. And I like this dog. I didn't really know him. But I just felt this dog was a distraction right now for me finding out the truth. Anyway, Kelly's face lit up the mention of his dog. Five amazing years. I feel like he found me. So you've always been a dog person, I asked. Nope, Kelly said assuredly. Not until this guy. He leaned forward, his tone serious. You know, he said, pointing to Poppy, this dog saved me. Before, he continued, I was such a loner and my ex-boyfriend had fucked me over so much. But this guy, he just likes me for me. I'm not lying when I say this dog has taught me how to love. Seriously, I don't think I could be open to that type of relationship now if it wasn't for him. Suddenly, I wasn't hungry, and I interrupted his monologue to try to make sense of what Kelly wanted. And besides, he brought up the word relationship, so that was my way in, bitches. I'm seasoned on that. So, I said, what do you mean you want in a relationship? I asked as nonchalantly as I could. I literally think I put my hand and rubbed my neck when I said it. Lord, loser. I asked the question, and Kelly's mouth pursed, and it tilted to one side as he thought. After 30 seconds, he replied, I just... I want to be with someone who I don't feel I have to put on airs for. Someone who feels grounded. However, at the same time, I don't need anyone. I love being on my own. I want to do my own thing. I hate feeling tied down. And I don't want to be, you know? He paused. Sometimes I'm not sure what I want. Okay, sugars, this is some truth talk. When someone says they don't know what they want, it means they don't want you. That's what it means. And I'd gotten what I'd wanted. An answer. Kelly and I wanted two different things. Suddenly, I wasn't mad at Poppy anymore. I was mad at me. How do I let myself fall for such unavailable guys? It's like a black hole that I get sucked into. It's a sickness that I want cured. And I don't remember what the rest of our lunch conversation was like because my own thoughts seemed to cloud reality into a mush of confusion. I just, I was thinking back to my past encounters with Kelly, our first meeting, the museum, the concert. I wasn't wrong in thinking he was interested in me, was I? I mean, in fact, I know he was. No, I know he was. I just don't think he was interested enough. And what really got me, in fact, what really pissed me off, was I fucked myself over. I denied any initial attractions I had, hoping those attractions would go away. And then when I finally had to admit to myself that I actually like him, I still fucked myself over. Instead of pursuing things so I could learn what Kelly actually wanted and talk to him and interact with him directly, I fantasized what being with Kelly would be like. I daydreamed what it would be like going to the park, going to a picnic, meeting his parents. I totally went there. I played house in my head instead of life with actual fucking life. I was too scared to find out where he stood because if he didn't like me, I wouldn't be enough. But now that I know the truth, I realize that the letdown of Kelly not liking me was way less painful than all the time I wasted fucking dreaming about him. Ugh. Our brunch ended very, again, non-ceremoniously. I was just ready to not see the dog that was going to bite my hand off anymore. As I drove home from brunch, I felt uncomfortable with myself and uneasy because it felt as if I couldn't trust my own instincts. And honestly, I felt a little unloved. I resolved to try and forget Kelly because suddenly being around him, it just made me feel forgettable. The last time I heard from Kelly, it was via text, of course. I received the text two months after our brunch. I was walking down Melrose Avenue doing some shopping, and this is what he texted. Hey, I heard George Mike on the radio and thought of you, cutie. How are you? I didn't respond. 
I was done. It wasn't that I'd given my all to that relationship. In fact, I'd given very little. It was, I thought, a new romance, so I'd not given much at all. The point was that I'd given something only to have it not denied but completely neglected. If Kelly was not that much into me, then I wish he would have been man enough to say it honestly. I'm not his dog poppy. I don't like being led on a leash. Uh, as I drove, I stopped at a stoplight and um, I got up my iPod. Remember, I told you the story was 2009. I got up my iPod and I purposely turned the click wheel to George Michael. And I hadn't listened to that song since the concert. And as I backed out of my parking spot and began lurching on traffic in Melrose, the music began to play. You were far when I could have been your star. As the song played out, so did my last feelings of regret for Kelly. It was then and there I let him go. Sometimes I wonder if the human heart can only hold so much. Is there a litmus? Like we have to let someone go in order to make room for someone else? I don't know. Do I miss Kelly? No, I don't. Do I ever think about our kiss and our dance? Yeah, I do. But only because I'm not letting that moment be taken away from me. Happiness is happiness, and I will take it where I can get it. It was my fucking Disney princess moment, and the moment was magical, amazing, and something that, honestly, I'm incredibly grateful that I got to experience with him. Now, do I still feel a little dumb for being led on so much? A little. I mean, let's be honest. I led myself on more than anyone because I was too scared to pursue the truth. Kelly did nothing, really, but be himself. And he, he's still a wonderful guy, just not my wonderful guy. But that night, that George Michael concert, that, that was something I will take to the grave. It was implanted in my memory, into my soul. As Ira Gershwin wrote, the melody, or in this case, the memory, lingers on. And they can't take that away from me. And as I listened to George's voice sail from the sunroof of my car out into the sky, pink with the sunset, I realized I should have listened to George Michael's words all along. Steal your heart 
So I hope you enjoyed this, you guys. We'll be back next week uh, with a new episode, and we'll be back in the old format. Let me know what you think about this. I love you guys very much. And I think with anything, with the passing of George Michael and the passing of Carrie Fisher, it's so incredibly important, you know, as cliche as it sounds, um, to take stock and be grateful. And life is a blessing. And Try to find, try to find a reason, a reason to find a blessing, a reason to, a reason to live, a reason to um, know that um, your life matters. Our time here is short. All right, so, Lord, I hope I didn't lose half of you. Next, I promise. Next week we're back to advice and dick jokes. I promise. All right, let me know what you think of this. You know, go to dearmattyshow.com. You can ask the questions. And also let me know in on the Facebook page at the Matt Mar or on Twitter or Instagram. Let me know what you think of this episode. Maybe I can, I'll do more stuff of this. I have other stories. I, I mean, obviously, I love having conversations with people and helping you out. But this was just again, it was just so on my on my heart and something I needed to do today. All right, everybody, do something for someone else. Do something for yourself. Oh, and happy New Year. <laughs>